Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, tonight's lesson, getting back to the names of God. The one he kept putting before my face was Jehovah Rapha. And we see it now a lot as Rapha, but I did see some older uh, messages and stuff on it where they they had it as Rafi with an E at the end. Um, so I'm not sure which one is correct. If it's got the, if it's roughly, it's more than likely a Hebrew means it's talking about the possession, so it'd be my healer. Right. Uh, which so. the original text was the Lord my healer, or the Lord that healeth thee. So, but now when you hear it, most times you hear Jehovah Rapha, so that's what we'll go with because that's what's recognizable. Um, the word that's translated to healer, Jehovah Rapha, is the Lord my healer, or the Lord that heals you, the Lord that healeth thee was what's written in scripture. The word that's translated to healer in a more literal uh, translation would be to mend or to fix. So it's the Lord that mends you or the Lord that fixes you. I know all our life when we hear that Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee, the first thing you think of is, yea, he heals my disease. And God can do that. But that's not actually the context of when, where the name was given. It, it really was about him fixing a situation because it's when he healed the bitter waters and he fixed them through the lessons that they learned in the situation. So it's the Lord that mends and fixes us through our mistakes and through our restorations. So if you have ever needed to be fixed or to be mended, Or if you have ever prayed, God, fix me, or God, please fix this, he can, because that's part of who he is. That is the Jehovah Rapha. But in the context of when this name was given, he also gives us some wise counsel in how to help us to prevent needing this in the first place. He is able to fix our mistakes and our messes. He is able to mend the things that we have broken. But after he did it in the story, he gave them counsel on how to prevent that from even coming about in the first place because prevention is better than cure, right? Or obedience is better than sacrifice. It's better to obey in the first place than to have to offer the sacrifice. Nevertheless, when we mess up, if we seek him, he will fix it. But there are conditions given because let's face it, If we have cirrhosis of the liver because we're an alcoholic, he's not going to heal our liver so that we can continue to be an alcoholic, right? Same thing with other diseases. There are diseases caused by things that we eat. He's not going to heal that disease just so we can continue to poison ourselves with the food. He gives you wise counsel. In fact, when he gave this word to the children of Israel, he told them to follow a specific diet. And if they did that, they wouldn't fall sick to the plagues that he was releasing on Egypt. So there were instructions given. There were conditions. So let's read where the name comes from. We'll go to Exodus 15, 19, verse 27. Because the actual part where he tells them that he's the one who's going to heal them and he's going to do it by causing them to follow his instruction and obedience so that they would do what was right to make them healthy so that they wouldn't fall prey to the sicknesses follows an incident where they didn't seek him and everything falls apart for them. So in actuality, 
He was trying to teach them so that they would obey him, so that they would be protected from the plagues that were coming. That's how he was going to heal them or fix them, as the literal translation is. All right, chapter 15, starting in verse 19. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots. So basically at this point of the story, kind of a little recap of where we are. They've gone through all the plagues of Egypt. Pharaoh didn't want to let the Israelites go. God brought all of these different things upon Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh lets them go. They leave. Then Pharaoh says, nope, we need to go get our slaves back. Go get them. Then they're pinned between the Red Sea. God opens up the Red Sea. The Israelites go through on dry land. There's a wall of water, it says, on both sides of them. The land is dry. They're passing through. Then Pharaoh decides, yeah, well, we're going to go in there and get them because, you know, I guess it's okay for us to do this too, which doesn't work out so well for them. It says, for the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, which is a tambourine, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dance. So the, the Israelites go out on dry land. They're safe. But when Pharaoh and his army pursues them, the water falls in on them and drowns the army. And so now... Miriam, the prophetess, is leading worship with the women and they're dancing and singing with tambourines because the enemy's been defeated. And Miriam answered them, saying, Ye the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So they're singing praises to God. What an amazing thing. Not only have they been delivered from Egypt, but God has destroyed their enemy while he pursued after them. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So they're coming out of the Red Sea, this amazing victory. God delivers them, destroys their enemy, then they go into the wilderness, and it seems like He's nowhere around, right? Up to this point, God has been doing everything for them. They did have to believe what Moses said, but really God was fighting all the battles and bringing all the victories, making them look good in the process because he's their God, but he was doing everything. Now they're in the wilderness and their training begins, but they don't understand that they're going to have to pass some tests. God might have been like daddy holding the, the bike, you know, and the training wheels are on it, but now he's starting to take his hands off and, and raise his children up to do the things that they ought to do because we're to be priests and, and kings in the kingdom. We have purpose. We're not just here for this earth. There will be things for us to do in eternity, and he's raising us up for those things. So he begins to train them, and things aren't quite so easy. They go for three days in the wilderness, and there's no water. Now, what you have to remember, too, is that the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They did hard work. They made it hard on them. But also, everything was provided for them. So you can kind of think of it as somewhat of a, a, a welfare system where 
their housings were provided, their foods were provided. They did do labor, you know, not to take it away. They were, they were hard taskmasters, but they weren't used to having to fend for themselves or seek God for things. Things were always just handed to them. So they're walking in the wilderness and there's no water being handed to them. Well, for starters, they never asked God. They never sought God. I think the big issue here is that God had just shown them that he had power over water. He just held the sea back for them. Now they're worried about water. So he showed them how powerful he was. Here's your test. Ask me. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. But they're used to it just being handed to them. And in Egypt, even in the plagues, that's kind of what was happening because God was winning all these victories. Maybe they thought that they were doing it, but really God was doing it all for them. But now he's training them and things aren't so easy. They've got to learn out how to do it the right way. Why does this work? Well, Moses had been seeking the Lord for them before, but now they have to ask. The problem that they had three days earlier was too much water. Now their problem is no water. This is their first test in the wilderness. He had just shown them that he could handle water in the sea. Now he tested them on this in the desert, and they failed it so bad that he had to first heal or fix the situation, then start fixing them. Of course, God knew that they were broken. The test was actually to show them that they needed fixing. God will do this with us. He will lead us through mighty victories, and we might think that we're doing all the right things, but in actuality, he was doing everything. He was just showing us. He was planting that seed of faith that it can be done, you know, like the daddy holding the bike. But then when he starts to teach you why it works or how it works or how to balance, how to walk this thing out by faith, we fall down, and then we freak out. He does these in our wilderness seasons. We think we are perfect and ready for the promise. As soon as we get saved, God gives us a little little vision, a little taste, a little hope and expected end. There are things that he puts in our spirit that are coming and we think we're already so ready for it. Moses had already been through this, so he understood it. Remember when he first knew that he was going to be their deliverer. He runs out and tries to do it himself and ended up killing the man, and God had to take him out in the wilderness and teach him these lessons. Same thing's happening to them. They're having to learn their wilderness lessons. Same thing happens to us. We learn our wilderness lessons. God has to let us mess things up sometimes to show us that we need to be fixed, that we're not already perfect, and there are things we need to learn. We think we're ready for promise. He wins some battles for us, and we think we've got this. Then the tests come, and we start failing them. This is the humbling that shows us that we actually aren't ready for the promised land. And we need to seek him and take some time to let him lead, teach, heal, mend, and fix us in the wilderness so that we don't bring our pride and fighting into the promise. Let me go back, because I don't think I've finished reading the story. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. All right, keep going. Now this wilderness is typically over 100 degrees. So three days with no water is 
is, is, it's enough to test and try anybody. So it's these testings that we go through, like they really will stir you up. That's what they're for. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. Mora means bitter. That's, the waters were bitter there, so they named it bitter. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and wilt do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And that's where the name comes from. And they came to Elim, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. All right. So the name of the place is Mara because it's bitter, not just because the water is bitter, but because they became bitter. They started blaming each other and fighting and bickering and blaming Moses and trying to fix things in their flesh. And, you know, the only way we know how to fix things in our flesh is to find somebody to blame for it and then start trying to figure out how to get rid of them or, or, or do it ourselves. Or It was a bitterness that took over them, but that was already in them. And he had to let it come to the surface. The water, the well, was polluted. Of course, we know in Scripture, you know, the, the well represents that, that place that our words come from, our heart. The Holy Spirit is a, a deep well. It comes up in flowing fresh water. The Bible talks about not having salt water and fresh water mixed, meaning don't let uh, the words of the enemy come out of your mouth and the words of God. So there was a bitterness there that had to be dealt with. As soon as things didn't go well, they all turned on each other and started slandering Moses and blaming each other and trying to take over and causing a scene and making a mess of things. Then God steps in and he heals the waters to restore their confidence in him and then promised that if they would stop trusting in themselves and in everyone else and trust him and him only, then they would be healed and protected from the diseases that had come and were coming upon the wicked. He showed them their own brokenness, then reminded them of his perfectness. So they would take their trust out of their own abilities and put it into his words and following his lead and praying and seeking him for their needs in order to protect them from what was coming. They were used to doing things a certain way in Egypt, and that wasn't going to work in the wilderness. Right off the bat, he had to break them of that. They weren't going to get through this by bickering and fighting and blaming. They were going to have to start seeking the Lord and working together like a family. They were going to have to humble 
and trust God. Of course, when Moses seeks God for them, he says, okay, this is how we fix the situation. In Egypt, you might have bickered and complained and gossiped and slandered and talked about Pharaoh and all of the bad politics and governments and all of that, which didn't fix anything there either. What fixed it is when they cried out and prayed and Moses' family prayed and God brought in the plagues and deliverance and all of those things. But in this wilderness, we're going to have to come together. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to seek the Lord because he's going to fix things supernaturally. You might want to try to fix the government and do things that seem logically and blame somebody else and and cry to the leadership, but really God's the only one that's going to be able to fix this. He is our healer. So Moses prayed and sought the Lord, and God tells him to do something that makes absolutely no sense. Take a tree and throw it in the water. Then all of a sudden, it's purified. Of course, we know the tree represents the cross. It represents Jesus. It represents that which purifies the water, purifies the tongue. You know, it goes back to, you know, nothing can tame the tongue but the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was given. It says that the Bible tells us no man can tame the tongue, but yet once the Holy Spirit came, the first thing that he did was come as cloving tongues of fire and give them a whole new tongue. In the Old Testament, it says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the bitterness in them was in their heart and it was coming out of their mouth. The only thing that can fix that is what Jesus did at Calvary by receiving a whole new spirit and listening to his voice and asking him to lead and to change us. He is the one who mends and fixes us. But it didn't make sense. They had to take it by faith, and that was to teach them that in this wilderness, it's not going to go by what you're used to or by your logic. You're going to have to seek the Lord and do what he tells you to. And then Moses concludes by saying that if you do everything the Lord tells you to, you'll be safe, you'll be protected because there's plagues that are coming upon the wicked and the only way you'll be protected from it is to do what he says, follow his leading. It might not be what worked in the last season. It might not be how you did it when you were battling Egypt. This is a whole new situation. Follow his leading exactly. God had and would continue to be releasing judgment upon the Egyptians in the form of sicknesses, among other things. So this test, even though he knew that they would fail it, was a great mercy. Because he was trying to teach them this lesson. He was trying to break their faith in their own understanding, I think. To just trust him, seek him, follow his leading, and he can fix things. He is Jehovah Rapha. Rapha, we translate it as healing, but it means fixing or mending. He is the one that fixes things for us. They had to see that they can't do anything without him. It was him that handled the water in the sea, and it was him that brought that victory. They couldn't even handle a polluted well. You know, they might have started to get a little proud. They might have started to think that they had done some mighty thing. You know, they had marched out in front of Pharaoh's army. You got to understand now, Pharaoh, I mean, Egypt was the greatest military force and nation on the planet. No one could defeat Egypt at this time. And a bunch of slaves, it looks like, defeated them. But it wasn't them, it was God. And I think there had to be a little humbling here to remind them that it wasn't them. They didn't destroy the enemy in the sea. They didn't control that water. They couldn't even handle a dirty well. Sometimes God has to remind us, 
of where the power really is and that we only get it when we seek him. Once the lesson and testing was done, he came in and healed them. He healed their bitterness first and then their bodies. He broke their pride, then mended their path. Sometimes there is sickness in our bodies because there is sin in our bodies. We know that's not 100% of the time because Jesus healed the man who had not sinned. Sometimes it's for the glory of God. But many times it is because we've done something that has caused it or let something in. We also know that most of the people that Jesus healed were healed because he cast out spirits. So there is a correlation between sin or disobedience and sickness. Sometimes there is a sickness in our bodies because there is sin in our body, because there is a lack of love in us towards somebody, a hurt, a wound that needs to be healed. Jehovah Rapha does all of that for us. But we have to be willing to trade Mora for Rapha because we can't have both. First, Mora, the bitterness, had to be healed then he could give them the promise of their physical healing because they couldn't hold on to both. The Bible tells us that that envy or certain negative things or rottenness to the bones, that they bring in sickness. The Bible also talks about, you know, the God says, I'll heal your backsliding. So when he is the God that heals us, it's not just a physical healing. That's usually what we think of. Oh, I'm sick. I need him to heal me. And he does do that. But the soul is more important. So he'd rather heal our backsliding. And sometimes if the sickness is what brings us to repentance, then he'd rather leave the sickness if it heals the soul. In their exodus from Egypt, he did miracle after miracle. Then on the other side of the sea, after he defeated their enemy, then things get quiet and he begins to work on them. There's no water. How will they respond to it? My friend, your response matters. Whatever you go through, stop immediately and judge your own response. He is always waiting and watching to see what your response will be. What is in your heart that will come to the surface? I always like uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1, The prophet says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and I will watch and see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. The prophet is examining himself by saying, I'm going to watch myself to see when God tells me and when God reproves me, how, what is my response? Because that's going to determine what's in my heart. You know, when the pool looks really clean, because it's been sitting still along and there hasn't been much to disturb it. And you think the pool is clean, but then you get in and you stir it up and stuff comes up from the bottom and you realize it wasn't all that clean. Sometimes God stirs us up. He lets us get into situations that let stuff come to the surface to show us there's still stuff in there that needs to be fixed. You're not yet ready for the promise. But I'm, he's still working on me. <laughs> he hasn't given up. The reason he's doing it is because he wants to get you there. It's not to to beat you down and tell you you're not worthy of it. It's to train you so that you can walk into it and not pollute it. It's better to deal with that polluted well in the wilderness than to bring polluted waters into promise. 
He stretched and tested their faith there. He waited for them to seek him. He wanted them to know that it was him doing these things and that they weren't just happening or because or happening because of them or even happening because of Moses. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think sometimes we we say, yeah, we're seeking and we're praying continuously, but it's very nonchalant and in passing. We're not diligently seeking and waiting on the Lord to get that clear instruction and we mess up. So what was their response to having to wait for something? He was testing the response. Test the response. Always test your response. As soon as they go into the wilderness, the first thing they had to do was wait for something. What was their response? What was their response to being uncomfortable? What was their response to being stretched? To having to walk in faith? Their response was that they murmured and complained and became bitter at both God and at Moses. They were disappointed in what they thought God should be doing or providing in that moment. There is a big danger in disappointment because in actuality, it's not only a a form of unbelief, but it's also a form of blaming God. Because if we're disacting, we're not trusting him for his promises and we're in our heart putting a blame on him for why it's not happening the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it. He knows best there's a reason, there's a purpose. Then Moses stops and seeks the Lord and he shows up like he always does. And he tells Moses how to heal the waters. God wants to be your healer, but not just of your physical body. That's not the miraculous work. That comes by obedience to the leading of his voice. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says, My son, attain unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. When you believe what the Lord is saying and follow his leading, he will bring you health. It is health to your flesh. I can say that when I was, was the most sick with Lyme's disease and bedridden and couldn't walk, and it was when I said, okay, Lord, what do you want? And he began to give me instructions, and it may not be what I would have wanted or what even made sense to me, but when I followed those out by faith, I got better. And when I would start to stray, I would feel the symptoms coming back on. It was like a bit in the horse's mouth leading and training, and that's what it was for the Israelites in Egypt also. Can he bring an instant healing? Yes, he can. To bring glory to God's name, that's for him. Those temporary quick healings are to bring God glory before men. But when he heals what's in us, that's to bring us a greater weight of glory in eternity where it really matters. And really he loves us enough that that's more important to him. Sometimes he does them both at the same time by bringing the healing as you follow his leading. What Rapha really wants to do is to heal your heart. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to preach deliverance to the captive, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So when we look at the word healing, it says he came to heal the broken hearted. The heart is more important. Let him get at your character and heal your heart, and the rest will follow. Proverbs 14, verse 29 says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. In other words, slow to get angry. That person has more understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is rottenness to our bones. Um, um, me and Devonte were talking in the truck on the way here, and I had mentioned how he was talking about somebody who he knew who was very quiet, but then once he got to know them, you know, they, they were a really amazing person. I said, you usually find that those who listen more than they speak walk in greater wisdom. If they talk a whole lot right off the bat real fast, step back and seek the Lord. And we've all been guilty of it. It's better to listen. Actually, the Bible tells us that it's better to, to listen than to speak. It's, it's better to assess the situation and then listen for what the Lord is saying and then address how we're going to enter into it. Actually, that's one of the things they were learning there. Don't just run off your mouth because the enemy came out with a bunch of bitterness and accusations. Wait and seek the Lord, and then he gave clear instruction on how to bring healing. When we speak in the quick, sometimes we break things, and then we have to stop and seek God for how he's going to come back in and fix it. So let's take our bitter waters to the tree that Jesus was nailed to so that we can be healed and be made sweet and be empowered to obey his words. So today, Lord, we pray. We're going to repent of a few things, Lord, just to, if we need it, then praise God we need it. If we don't, then we'll take it as a lesson for to be remembered of the things that this is, is referring to. But I think one of the things that we have to repent of in this story that they were guilty of is impatience. So, Lord, forgive us of impatience. Lord, we confess that that is a sin because it's rooted in unbelief and a lack of trust in who you are. Forgive us of pride because the fact is is that when they started complaining and blaming Moses, it's because they thought they knew better, they thought they knew how to fix it, when really they didn't. Lord, we repent of disappointment, which again is rooted in unbelief because it's not trusting you for your plan and timing. We repent of any bitterness or offense because that's rooted in blame and that's not in your character. You call us to forgiveness. We repent of any envy. They fought over the well and it wasn't even good for them. We repent of any complaining and murmuring. We repent of blaming others. The great thing about it is that after they complained over this one little well and God came in and healed it, he then gave them 12 better wells with palm trees and good fruit. So really it was about healing their character. So when the time comes that we need to seek the Lord and repent of these things, you can then watch him to not only heal or mend or fix what was polluted and broken, but he will then show up 
to fix things down the road and to bring greater blessings on the other side of it. Because I think sometimes when we mess up or when those things happen or when he shows us something that was in us, we get so discouraged or disappointed in ourselves that we want to just sit there and stay at that dirty well. But there is something better down the road. He was showing you this for a purpose. It was part of the training, the learning, and the growing. Now you got to keep on going because there's 12 better wells up ahead. God knew those wells were there. They were headed for it. But before they got there, he needed to address something in their heart. He needed to humble some pride. Of course, we know 12 is the number of discipleship. God was discipling them. He was teaching them something. God takes us through these times to teach us things because we're not going into the promise the same way that we came out of Egypt. We need to pray for God to be Jehovah Rapha to the entire body of Christ because the church needs fixing. We repented and prayed those prayers of repentance and those things if they were issues in us, but I think we also need to pray those things for the body of Christ because as a whole, it needs to be healed. The body needs mending. It's sick, it's broken, it's divided. The waters are polluted. It needs Jehovah Rapha. That was the case in this situation because we know the congregation of Israel was the church of that time and now by being grafted in, we are part of it and that's still the problem with the church now. It was all of Israel that needed to be healed. They all got disappointed with God and selfish against each other and became bitter. They all needed mending. The church needs to be fixed. The waters needed to be healed. They needed to see that the answer comes not when they accuse, blame, murmur, or complain, but when they love, seek, and pray. So let us pray for the church this way. Because I think that the point of all this is that when we mess up, we learn from it. And then we let God fix it and we keep moving forward. We don't stop in the wilderness. It's a reminder that we've all missed it. We've all failed tests. Sometimes God knew we were going to fail it before we went into it and he sent us into it to show us that there were things still yet to learn. We've all been there. We've all done it. We've all been like the Israelites in the wilderness and God can heal it. So just like he's had to do it with us, he can do it with the church. He can do it with the greater body of Christ, even if he's got to take them into a wilderness to do it. He can do it. He can do it for us. He can do it for the greater body because we do know that the church at large is failing a test right now. It probably has been for a very long time. So if a humbling is coming, then so be it because the healing will come after and the restoring because God doesn't do it for no reason. So Lord, we pray for the church as at large tonight in general, for the entire body, for those who have the wrong heart and the wrong character, for fallen ministers, for fallen congregations and denominations. Lord, let us not become bitter and begin blaming and accusing and slandering. Lord, let us seek you like Moses did on how to heal those bitter waters, on how to mend, on how to fix this situation. Lord, let us cry to you with intent that you might come by the power of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and make those bitter waters sweet. Heal the church, Lord. If you've got to bring them into a wilderness to do it, teach them the lessons that they need 
to be able to walk into promise. Lord, you will purify your bride. You will humble the pride. And we trust your method. We trust your wisdom. We will not be disappointed if we have to go three days without water in a wilderness. We know that there's a purpose. We trust your, your, your plan that it is to bring a good end and not to harm us, that it's to bring about the best possible result for us. So Lord, do what you have to do. A 12-well revival might be on the other side of Amara, that place of bitter waters. There's just a lesson to be learned there as we watch God heal the waters. So if the church goes through something kind of bitter, kind of difficult, kind of hard, that 12-well revival is probably on the other side of it. Don't lose heart. Job chapter 5 verse 17 says this, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty, for he maketh sore and bindeth up, he woundeth, and his hand maketh whole. Finally, as we come to a close, I would say that many are poisoning their own wells. If you are spending your time watching the news or debates or ungodly entertainment or even just fruitless entertainment, then you're actually polluting your own waters. We know there's things, there's TV, there's movies, there's games, there's distractions that don't glorify God. It's, it's polluting your well because what goes in is what comes out. The tree represents the cross. If you fill your well with Jesus, it will be cleansed. If you don't, it will grow stagnant and become poisonous. And that's a fact. So obey his words and put him first and the well will stay healed. Or don't. And things will get out of hand and poisonous again until you cry out to him to come and fix it. At which point he has to start all over again. So it's time to learn the lesson. Now in all of this, I'm not saying that God doesn't bring physical healings. He does. We've all seen him do the miraculous. There's testimonies all over the room. God has brought instant miracles. He's brought miracles over time. He has healed probably everybody in the room at some point or another, and many more that we know. He does do it. But what I'm actually saying here is that he's more concerned with healing the eternal you than the temporary you. Right? Like I said earlier, physical healings are for his glory to show people that he's real in his power. But the eternal healings are for our glory, to give us a greater weight of glory in eternity, to prepare us to cause us to produce those good fruits of righteousness that get, or get us better rewards on the other side. And because he loves us, he's really more concerned about that. So if a sickness is what it takes for him to lead us through a wilderness, keeping us following his leading, then so be it. Or if trying to stay protected from that sickness, as many have with COVID, will cause you to pray and seek the Lord, and get his wisdom and instruction, then so be it. And there are more plagues coming to our modern Egypt. So seek the Lord with diligence. 
And when you fail, come to him, repent, seek him. He'll give you instructions. He is still Jehovah Rapha. So Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this reminder. We thank you for showing us who you are in these studies, Lord, that we might look closer at your character and your attributes and what's important to your heart. We thank you, Lord, that you care for us, that you care for the eternal us more than for the temporary us, Lord, that you're willing to prepare us for promise, Lord, that we understand we're not going to get into promise the same way that we left Egypt. So if there's a process, a sanctification in, in the following your leading, Lord, if there's some struggles and some temptations and some testings in the wilderness, the, Lord, we know even Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested. Lord, sometimes we know he passed his test, Lord, and there's many that we do pass, but every once in a while, Lord, maybe we fail one. It's not over with. We learn from it and we keep going forward. We trust you to fix it, to be the healer, to be the mender, to be the one that makes the bitter waters sweet again. We call upon the name of Jesus by your blood and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let it be done. We thank you for this word. Let it find its mark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.